welcome to episode 80 of Glitch Report. My name is Nitwit. Thank you so much for stopping by, saying hi, kicking it with me today on the stream, the stream of dreams, the show of shows. We are live over at twitch.tv slash nitwit, G-N-I-T-T-W-I-T-T. And you can find everything that I do over at my Linktree, linktree.com slash nitwit. Find my YouTube, find my Twitch, find my Instagram, my blue sky my twitter all of that stuff is there for your convenience should you need more of this fine content creator We've got a hell of a show for you today i have finished up yakuza kiwami one i am so excited to talk about yakuza kiwami one i'm also trying to do something a little bit different with how i talk about games specifically games in my backlog so because i've completed yakuza kiwami one we will talk about that in its entirety uh, without spoilers, uh, for those who uh, maybe are, you know, Yakuza and Like a Dragon curious and uh, get it curious, cure you. Anyways, we'll get to that uh, later on on the show. But yeah, we're going to try something different with the backlog of games where I'm going to wait until I have finished them and, and kind of completely dissected them uh, to talk about uh, my my feelings on them and, and just the game in general compared to something like a new release where stuff can be a little bit more fluid right like if if i was playing suicide squad kill the justice league right now i'd be talking about you know what the current state of that game is uh, in comparison to uh, what i can expect from it you know next week and the week after so on and so forth compared to a game like yakuza kiwami one which is you know pretty much set in stone uh coming up on the show today we are going to talk about disney and epic games we got a whole lot of microsoft news to get through a lot of 2k news both the 2K development group as well as WWE uh, 2K24, some Spider-Man news, Square Enix news, so on and so forth. But let's get into it. Uh, the McRib. We talked about the McRib on the podcast uh, last week. Um, since the McRib has come out, I've lost track of the math to some extent, but since the McRib has come out, I've had about five McRibs and I'm a better person for it. I'm a better person for it. I think my, my acne and my skin has gone to shit a little bit. Just checking out myself in the camera there. I think, uh, I think some parts of my life have, uh, definitely been worse, uh, because of the McRib, but overall I continue to enjoy, uh, consuming a uh, novelty shaped meat. I don't expect that to change anytime soon. If you want to come over to my house and you got like, dinosaur chicken nuggets uh i'm in you got it um if you get those Mc this is a canadian reference so i'm sorry to everybody but if you get those mccain uh potatoes that are shaped like the uh, smiley fries um uh if you get the mccain uh smiley french fries uh that's a that's a fun time as well uh for those in chat saying the mcrib is back the mcrib is back in canada so your mileage on mcribbage uh may vary uh, but, uh, y'all can call me Vince McRib. Ah, that's a terrible joke. Let's get into the news. We're here. This is the, just for those that are, are forgetting or wondering what the hell's going on. This is a video game podcast. We are here to talk about the news of, uh, of the video game world. And, uh, I got this hot news article right here from video games chronicles. As always, shout out to video games chronicles. Um, but before I do that, I going to edit on the fly live 
Who does this? This is not. No, it does not take into account. Ah, uh, whatever. It'll be fine. I was going to edit the lighting because the brightness of the display uh, when I have the window open is like, Nitwit, don't go into the light. But what if there's more McRibs there? Anyways, this if you're not watching the video version of the podcast, the joke won't make any sense, but that's fine. Let's talk Microsoft. Microsoft has had a, a rough week, and they didn't really even do anything, which is just goes to show you how, you know, even trillion zillion dollar corporations can have really shit luck. Uh, all things considered, let, let me kind of break it down for you. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the rumors and possibility that things like uh, Sea of Thieves and Gears of War and other uh, first party Microsoft Xbox games could be making their way to PlayStation. Um, and the reason that this could potentially be happening is because there have been reports, again, related to these rumors, of an increased multi-platform focus from Xbox. Now, before we get too ahead of ourselves, I want to talk about what Xbox's current multi-platform focus looks like. Because people are freaking out about something that I don't think they have any reason to freak out about right now. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Microsoft hasn't really told any lies. I hate to sound like CM Punk here, but tell me when I'm telling lies is what uh, Phil Spencer seems to be out there doing. So let's break it down. Prior to the purchase of both Bethesda and Activision Blizzard, Xbox was already uh, publishing third, you know, kind of third party games on other platforms, or I should say Microsoft was publishing their first party games on other platforms, right? Microsoft has Minecraft and Minecraft and all of its uh, spinoffs, uh, Dungeons and I think Legends, I think that game's called Legends, um, have appeared on, uh, you know, PlayStation platforms as well as Nintendo platforms. Right. So Microsoft is already out there putting some of its first party owned games on PlayStation and Nintendo Switch. Xbox has also put Ori in the Blind Forest. They might have put the sequel Will of the Wisps on there. I don't don't quote me on that. But Microsoft has already put Will of the Wisps and they've put Lucky's Tale on the Nintendo Switch. Now, if I go to the PlayStation store right now. Lucky's Tale might be there. I, I don't know for certain. I don't I don't own a PlayStation, so I'm just going to type in Lucky's Tale. Yeah, Lucky's Tale is also on uh, both Lucky's Tale uh, VR as well as new Super Lucky's Tale are on uh, PlayStation as well. So that's this two series on PlayStation. Right? You know, Lucky's Tale and Minecraft. Then they bought Bethesda and they continued to put out some of the Bethesda games on PlayStation. They put out, uh, what the hell is a game called? Deathloop. They put out Deathloop. Now, in fairness, they, you know, Bethesda and Arcane and all that stuff already had agreements with Sony 
to make Deathloop a one-year exclusive game on PS5 at launch. But whatever, Microsoft honored the deal, they put it out. Uh, Ghostwire Tokyo, same thing. They continue to put out updates for uh, Fallout um, uh, 76. They continue to do updates on the PlayStation versions for the Elder Scrolls Online. Now, you can see a scenario where Microsoft already had these established commitments in terms of, oh, my Minecraft fans expect to play Minecraft games wherever they play games. Therefore, we need to put Minecraft games on PlayStation should our customers be there, right? Lucky's Tale and, and uh, you know, being on PlayStation, you know, well, it's a VR game at the start and then they made a non-VR version. Like, yeah, okay, but it's you if you ask Microsoft, this isn't too much different than a potential scenario in which Forza Horizon 5 comes to PlayStation. Before we get to that, let me go a little bit further. So Microsoft kept the Minecraft games and some of their other third party games or some of some of their other first party games on, you know, Nintendo and on PlayStation. They kept supporting the PlayStation versions of the Bethesda games that did come to PlayStation, right? Starfield did not come to PlayStation, at least not yet. Now we have a scenario where the Blizzard and Activision games are going to continue to appear on PlayStation uh, where agreements have been made and the versions that already exist are going to continue to receive updates similar to the, you know, PC and uh, Xbox versions of the games, right? Diablo 4 is going to be in sync on PlayStation uh, with all the other versions, right? That, again, hasn't changed. So when I think about this stuff, I actually don't think it's that big of a stretch to end up in a scenario where Sea of Thieves makes its way to PlayStation. I don't. And you go on Twitter, X, whatever the fuck you want to call it now, you go to social media and you got people losing their goddamn minds, losing their goddamn minds. There was a news article, I didn't pull it, from Video Games Chronicle saying that, like, Xbox, like, influencers are, like, walking away from the brand. People that get paid to say nice things about Xbox, regardless of the situation that Xbox find themselves in, are choosing to just walk away from the, from the platform entirely. Make it make sense to me. So one of the concerns is that people, you know, people might have is it would devalue, you know, owning an Xbox, right? What the hell's the point of owning an Xbox if PlayStation, you know, uh, owners are going to get Spider-Man and Starfield and Halo and Gran Turismo and Forza? What the hell's the point? What's the point of owning an Xbox? I still think there's value in owning an Xbox. And the biggest reason I say that is because of Game Pass. Game Pass is not going to come to PlayStation. So unless it's a free to play, you know, game like the Halo Infinite multiplayer. When Starfield, if Starfield makes its way to PlayStation, it's going to be a full price game six months to a year, however long it takes to make its way to PlayStation. This is not much different 
people in chat were talking about PlayStation games have already gone to, to Steam and PC. This isn't actually that much different than what uh, X, uh, you know, PlayStation does with PC, right? I'm really excited. Can't wait to play Horizon Forbidden West and the Burning Shores expansion. But I know that a year or whatever, how long it takes to come out to PC, I know that that version of the game is going to be a full price game. But if I wanted a cheaper, potentially, you know, more affordable experience, I could go buy a PlayStation right now, get PlayStation Plus and play Horizon Forbidden West on PlayStation Plus uh, extras for free. Obviously, you got to pay for the service, but whatever. Tell me when I'm telling lies. Tell me when this doesn't seem that much different than the PlayStation strategy. The only difference is that you can't play Horizon Forbidden West on an Xbox. So, yeah. You know, if you're a PC gamer and. Uh, people in chat saying we should fire up Game Pass after we're done. We'll take a look at some Game Pass. We can maybe take a look at some Game Pass. I know they put Train Simulator on Game Pass, which whatever. I mean, not all PlayStation Plus and Game Pass, uh, you know, um, games that come out every week or whatever are always that exciting. But the point is, is that. I can play Starfield for free as part of Game Pass. You, a PlayStation owner, can play Horizon Forbidden West for free as part of PlayStation Plus. And if I want to, and Andy, this is me talking as a PC owner because I'm lucky compared to Xbox owners, but whatever. If you want to play Starfield on your PlayStation, you're probably going to have to pony up full price when it comes out. And if I want to play Horizon Forbidden West on PC, it's probably going to cost me, you know, full price as well. So what's the actual news, right? Like this is this all the context surrounding this news, right? This is all the context um, leading up to this news. But, but what is actually going on? So getting this from Video Games Chronicles, as always, shout out to Video Games Chronicles. Over the weekend, it was claimed that Bethesda Starfield and its upcoming Indiana Jones and the Great Circle could be released for PlayStation 5, in addition to rumored Hi-Fi Rush and Sea of Thieves ports for Sony's consoles and Nintendo Switch. You don't see a lot of, before we get too ahead of ourselves, first of all, sad PlayStation and Xbox fanboys make me happy. Like, you console war like motherfuckers when you're miserable i am happy because the arguments that are being made at, at the moment with the exception of a potentially like you know wasted purchase even that's an extreme of owning an xbox is ridiculous but regardless um Microsoft, uh, it was claimed all as well that Microsoft is considering bringing the Gears of War franchise to, to PlayStation 2, as if PlayStation doesn't already have enough third-person action games. I'm just being cynical. Speculation about a new strategy for the Xbox uh, business has been mounting, and Microsoft's head of gaming released a statement on Monday telling fans that more will become clear next week. So the announcement being, there's going to be an announcement next week. Phil Spencer wrote on Twitter, we're listening and we hear you. We've been planning a business update event for next week and uh, we look forward to sharing more details with you about our vision for Xbox. Stay tuned. 
Now, should these reports prove to be accurate on the surface, the move would represent a significant change in Microsoft's gaming strategy, which has pre previously been seen to keep its biggest titles exclusive to consoles other than those which were originally multi-platform before being acquired by Xbox, such as Minecraft or Elder Scrolls Online, which we talked about. However, Xbox already releases all of its first-party games on PC immediately, and with PS5 and Switch reportedly outselling the Xbox console significantly, it's possible the company has decided to uh, the potential software sales can no longer be ignored. And that's the other thing. If you want big $200, $300 million AAA games, you gotta recoup that cost. You gotta recoup that cost somehow. You cannot just eat shit on the cost of the software development and make it up on hardware because Xbox ain't moving hardware. They are not moving that dope. They're not. So if it's going to cost $150 million to make, I don't know, I'm just pulling a number out of my ass, but if it's going to cost $150 million to make Indiana Jones and the Great Circle, and they already know that a good portion of those players will be playing for free on Game Pass. And before we get too ahead of ourselves, Starfield sold quite well last year. Starfield was in the top 10 of game sales last year, despite being on Game Pass for Xbox and PC. But if you really want to recoup those costs, maybe you should put them out on other platforms. Now, I'm totally on board with the world in which you know, we use FOMO, fear of missing out for those who aren't, you know, up on their lingo. To entice uh, PlayStation users to get on board with Xbox, right? Oh, I could play, you know. I don't know, we'll go back to the, you know, the Indiana Jones thing. Oh, I could play Indiana Jones in the Great Circle for free on Game Pass right now. Or I could wait six, 12, 18 months and then pay full price to play Indiana Jones on my PS5. Hmm, I wonder what's the better experience, right? Game Pass makes owning an Xbox worth it, in my opinion. Game Pass makes PC gaming worth it, in my opinion. But it's hard to argue with the ballooning cost of development that Microsoft shouldn't try to recoup this to the best of their ability when it comes to, uh, you know, development costs. So I think it makes sense. You know... If you want to be out there saying you get these, like I saw somebody on Facebook and I, and I really shouldn't even be fucking bothering. Um, but people were like, Oh, I can't believe they let that garbage Starfield on PlayStation. And I'm like, there are way worse games on PlayStation right now than Starfield. There are way worse games. Like say what you will about Starfield. It was not broken at launch. If anything, it was just kind of mediocre. And there are far worse games on PlayStation. But they want to say, oh, get this Xbox garbage off of PlayStation, get this whatever, whatever. Yet they'll go back and they'll start playing Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. They'll play Diablo 4. They'll play Minecraft. They'll play Elder Scrolls Online. They'll play Fallout 76. Like, I'm pretty sure those... Those are Xbox games, dude. Like, I'm, I understand you're playing them on your PlayStation, but uh, pretty sure those are, uh, you know, brought to you by our good friend, Uncle Phil Spencer of uh, of Xbox and Microsoft. You know, so don't get it twisted. 
fanboys, of course, console warriors, they don't use logic. They don't, they don't think with their head. They are just so, here's the other thing. These corporations and these companies do not care about you. They only care about you enough to extract money from you. So if you are tying your personal identity, your, 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 your personal brand to a brand of a company, you are, are living a lie. You, and I, and I know this is a video game podcast, but bear with me here. You are living a lie. If you think Xbox gives a fuck about you, you gave them your money and they have a loose obligation to, you know, provide reasons to continue playing that console. That's about it. That's about it. And sometimes they don't even get that part right. And I would say the same thing about Nintendo and Sony. People in chat saying, uh, PS5, they got PS5s, they got computers, they got Xboxes, Nintendos, tried them all. People out there saying computer is the best. It's true. Well, it's true if you want to fuck around with a lot of stuff. There's far more fucking around on a, on a PC than there is, um, on a console, right? You get a, you get a game, you put the disc in or you download the game, you launch it, you're good, right? Maybe you got to update it, right? There's not like, I was explaining to somebody the other, you know, uh, not that long ago about how I buy PC games. And I was like, well, sometimes I get them from Steam or sometimes I get them from the Epic Game Store or sometimes I buy them from GOG or, you know, sometimes I get them for free from my Amazon Prime membership. And then I have to download the Amazon Game Store to launch those games. But of course, that's a different store than the uh, Xbox store that allows me to launch the Game Pass games. But also, if I want to play the EA games that are part of Game Pass, I need to have the EA um, app installed on my computer to run Madden, the Game Pass version of Madden, which I can launch from the Xbox app, but opens up the EA app. Oh, and same thing happens with Ubisoft games. If I want to play Ubisoft games, I need to have the Xbox Game Pass app on my computer. And then I also need to have the Ubisoft app on my computer. There's a lot more fucking around. Do I think it ends up being a better experience overall once you've, you know, finished tinkering with it? Yeah, but obviously consoles um, do offer a ton of value. And I, I absolutely get it. And, and that's why I'm saying that, like, you know, the best place to play, I should be, they should be paying me to say this, but like the best place to play Horizon Forbidden West is on a PlayStation. The best place to play, you know, Indiana Jones, the Great Circle is on an Xbox. And a lot of that has to do with the subscription offerings, which again, are them trying to come up with, you know, reasons for you to continue to play the console after you've already bought it, which is really all they need to do in terms of supporting their customer base. Other than that, they owe you nothing. And if you feel like they owe you more, you should stop giving them your money. And, you know, collect stamps as a hobby or something. I think we've uh, burned enough bridges with uh, that conversation that we can move on to something else that's... It's controversial, for sure. It's controversial, for sure. But, um, 
not in the same way the Xbox One was. You ever heard of a little company called Disney? Have you ever heard of a little company called Epic Games? This little company, Epic Games, makes a little game called Fortnite. So what do those things have in common? Disney is investing $1.5 billion into Epic Games. And the plan is to build a new universe connected to Fortnite. You might be thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. Disney and Fortnite. Don't they already have a bunch of Disney characters? Like, think about this. Most, like, I'm not going to say most. This is probably uh, fuzzy math. But there have been a lot of Disney characters that have made their way to Fortnite. Mar all the Marvel characters that have made their way to Fortnite. All the Star Wars characters that have made their way to Fortnite. They had, uh, they had Futurama on Fortnite. They also had Family, uh, family Guy in Fortnite. So, you know, and then part of that is because Disney owns everything. But you can still see a scenario where the more Disney signs off on having these characters make their way to Fortnite, the more they could be incentivized to go a little bit deeper into the into the relationship with things like significant funding. And that's exactly what happened on Wednesday. The two companies uh, announced that they were partnering to create a, quote, all new games and entertainment universe connected to Fortnite. Quote, in addition to being a world-class game experience and uh, interoperating with Fortnite, the new Persistent Universe will offer a multitude of opportunities for consumers to play, watch, shop, and engage with content, characters, and stories from Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, Avatar, and more. This was something that Disney said. Powered by Epic's Unreal Engine and launching, quote, soon-ish, according to the trailer below, um, which you can't see because this is a, I'm not going to, whatever, I could just launch, I could just do, no, it's not going to work. I was going to launch the trailer, uh, but you can find the trailer on your own. Uh, it will let users create their own stories and experience and then share content with each other, quote, our exciting new relationship with Epic Games will bring together Disney's beloved brands and franchises with the hugeler, uh, hugely, hugeler, with the hugely popular Fortnite in a transformational new games and entertainment universe, said everybody's favorite CEO, Disney Bob Iger. This marks Disney's biggest entry ever into the world of games and offers significant opportunities for growth and expansion. We can't wait for fans to experience the Disney stories and worlds they love in groundbreaking new ways. Now, Epic uh, CEO Tim Sweeney, everyone's second favorite CEO, also had something to say. Tim Sweeney wrote, Disney was one of the first companies to believe in the potential of bringing their worlds together with ours in Fortnite, and they use Unreal Engine across their portfolio. Now, we're collaborating on something entirely new to build a persistent, open, and interoperable ecosystem that will bring together the Disney and Fortnite communities. 
Disney and Epic have a long-standing working relationship. The latter has contributed Unreal Engine technology to various Disney theme parks and Star Wars movies. For example, while Fortnite has played home to Disney season collaborations and live events, including the Marvel Nexus Wars with Galactus, which attracted more than 15.3 million concurrent players. Put the Simpsons in Fortnite, you damn cowards. I want to play as Bartman. I want to I want to do the Bartman while I shoot John Wick in while I shoot John Cena in Fortnite. John Wick or John Cena doesn't matter. Either one of them can get it. So. What does this all mean? It means that Fortnite is not slowing down anytime soon, right? Um, people have. You know. Fortnite, it, because it's so big, it, it does carry its own controversy. But the controversial thing about Fortnite is that people don't play other games. They just play Fortnite, right? Like, people just sit around and play Fortnite and Roblox and Call of Duty and Grand, Grand Theft Auto Online, and that's it. They don't go out and they don't buy Marvel's you know, Gardens of the Galaxy, they don't go out and buy Spider-Man 2, right? They just sit around and they play Fortnite all day, every day. Well, not all, I don't want to assume how long they play the games for, but that's really all that they play, right? Minecraft, another example. So in a scenario where this single game and, and similar uh, games have captured an entire audience to the point where they really don't need to go play anything else to get their fill, assuming that what they want to get filled is what Fortnite already offers. Um, why wouldn't you just continue to invest into this? This thing prints money. This thing is a money-making machine. It is a, a death machine that will consume all of video games before you know it's all said and done. And $1.5 billion is nothing to Disney. It's nothing. It's not nothing. Nada. Zip. Zilch. It is nothing to Disney. But it is an incredibly smart investment because no other company has affiliated themselves with Epic Games and uh, Fortnite the way that Disney has. Again, going back to all the characters, the skins, the events, the promotions, the cross promotions that have happened in Fortnite. It makes uh, it makes a hundred percent sense to me, and um, every every time I hear a Fortnite story, I will say that it does get me thinking about reinstalling Fortnite and playing some Fortnite. But um, I got other things to play right now. But it is always interesting to see how Fortnite continues to develop and roll along. Got a, got some Helldivers news for you. So so Helldivers Two is out now. As live as as of as I speak these words, Helldivers 2 is out now. However, similar to uh, Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League, there were no reviews for Helldivers 2 at launch. So what we have in terms of reception and reviews and reactions to the game comes more from the public, uh, specifically Steam user reviews. Uh, people that have been playing the game. The game came came out uh, midnight uh, Thursday, 
I've not had a chance to play it yet. I will I will be playing Helldivers 2. Regardless of what people think of the game, I'm going to check it out. I feel like I need to see what this game is all about. Um, especially in a scenario when I, I didn't get a chance to play it um, early access the way that I did for something like Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. But the point is, Helldivers 2 is out now. And according to this Video Game Chronicles uh, story, it's getting mixed reviews on Steam. So keep in mind that what we're going to be talking about is the PC reviews for Helldivers 2. If you're getting it on PlayStation, your mileage may vary, but listen up anyways. Helldivers 2 uh, apparently has some issues where it is crashing. It's just, you know, you boot the game, it crashes. You boot the game, it crashes. It also apparently has uh, kind of a gross uh, monetization uh, system in play where it feels like you need to pay extra money in the game in order to win at the game. A pay to win uh, scenario, you might say. And the uh, systems and security that it has in place to prevent cheating is also causing a lot of headaches for people. So. Uh, exact sales figures aren't yet known. The game is currently. At, well, this was uh, when did this article come up? Uh, this came up uh, earlier today at. Uh, well, that can't be right. How can that possibly be right? That's not even whatever the video game news uh, video game chronicles website is broken because it currently says that this uh, article is from 3:53 p.m. today and it's 11:26. Whatever. Um, the game, at least at one point in time, was number three in Steam's global top sellers list. With Steam database reporting that its peak concurrent player count already hit over 64,000. Uh, this uh, article is written nine hours after release. However, the Steam user reviews for the game are currently sitting at mixed on the site with over 3,200 reviews, with 52% of them being positive. 52% are positive. The general consensus around uh, among the 48% of reviews which are negative appear to revolve around the game's tendency to crash, with some players trying. Um, uh, tying this to the nProtect Game Guard anti-cheat software. One user wrote, I'm playing on a 7900 XTX, which is a very, very powerful graphics card. Uh, and I'm getting crashes to desktop when I try to play a mission. I'm sure this game would be fun to play, but I'm currently unable to actually proceed with a mission without getting freezes. Citing GameGuard, the same user review claims, For now, it's currently causing issues launching the game, as every time I'm forced out of a game, I'm hit with a message that GameGuard isn't present or active, keeping me from playing the game. So basically, anti-cheat software is actually preventing people from playing the game entirely when the game doesn't crash. Quote, I was very excited about the idea of playing this game as another review. I adore the original, sadly, after consistent crashes to desktop and even a, a few blue screens of death thrown in for good measure. The only thing I can recommend is stay away until you hear about patches fixing these issues. Now, some reviews have uh, complained about server issues, which we kind of talked about the crashing, can't connect, all that stuff. 
other re uh, reviews have criticized the game's Battle Pass, um, which is a paid version of the Battle Pass specifically, uh, that contains not just cosmetic items, but weapons too. Some players have been suggesting this constitutes a pay-to-win situation, even though the game is a cooperative player-versus environment, so player-versus-the-enemies, uh, multiplayer instead of a competitive PvP. Uh, they call the battle passes war bonds, saying the second war bond is not free. It costs $10 to unlock. You then spend the same credits from completing missions on unlocking cosmetics and weapons in this battle pass. If this war bond had only cosmetic microtransactions, I would have been fine with this. But putting items that give other players an advantage behind a paywall is incredibly greedy and short sighted. It would be one thing if this was 2010, but it's 2024. Players outrage at this is well known. When a company puts making money ahead of their players' happiness in this way, it's not a company whose games I can recommend to other people. So you might be thinking, God, this sounds like a nightmare. What's going what what is uh what are the developers doing? Well, Helldivers 2 lead producer Alex Bull has been responding to some of the negative team reviews, acknowledging uh, there are issues and saying the team is working to fix them. He wrote, sorry that you're having trouble. Uh, he, he wrote this to one of the user reviews. Uh, he added, we're doing our best to try and resolve the issues that people are having to increase the visibility of your issue. Please submit a ticket at our support page and attach any crash logs you have. You can find the support page through the arrowhead. That's the developer uh, homepage. Then he added, I hope we can win you back once we've had some uh, some time to address the issues. Now, just a timeline of things. The game was originally announced at a PlayStation showcase last May. Helldivers 2 was initially scheduled to release in 2023 before being delayed, and this is the sequel to the 2015 PS4, PS3, and Vita game, Helldivers 1. I'm going to say, and I hate to sound like a broken record, but I'm going to say what I said about uh, Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League, and I'm going to apply it to Helldivers 2. If you had put out, um, you know, early review copies, for people to play. Maybe they could have found a lot of the issues that are currently happening. I'm not saying they didn't play test the game. I'm not saying any of that stuff. But they clearly didn't play test the game at scale. They clearly didn't play test enough of the game for PC. And now we're in a scenario where. What we should actually be talking about. What we should actually be criticizing Helldivers 2 for. Is the battle pass system. The monetization. And, you know, any of the other like, you know, gameplay issues that uh, that uh, Helldivers 2 comes up short on. Right. Instead, we're sitting around complaining, rightfully so, about the fact you can't even play the goddamn game. So. I would love if these especially these multiplayer games stopped launching broken, right? But at least you can sometimes play the game. Whereas with Suicide Squad Guild Kill the Justice League, it was literally out of commission for seven hours. Then again, maybe people have been trying to play it for the last seven hours and have been coming up short in terms of launching the game. I don't know. I think I'm going to probably try to give it a shot 
tomorrow. Um, we're going to try to stream some Helldivers 2 tomorrow, I think. We're going to maybe put a brief pause on um, Assassin's Creed Valhalla and fire up some Helldivers 2 tomorrow, assuming it works. I don't know, but that's the plan. But um, I can understand a greedy monetization system. I'm not trying to wave my hand of it, but like, you know, they can maybe try to fix that. They can maybe try to fix the progression system. Uh, before they can do that, they really got to fix the ability to actually play the game. And I hope that the good folks at Arrowhead can solve that sooner rather than later. We're going to do three more news stories and then we're going to take a quick break. So we're not going anywhere, but uh, these are kind of quick news stories here. Uh, quick ish. Uh, 2K. The people that uh, brought you Lego 2K Drive and WWE 2K and NBA 2K um, have laid off a group of people at uh, Visual Concepts in Austin. That is the studio that had worked on 2K Drive, uh, WWE and NBA. As reported by game developer, the studio's uh, former art manager, Brad Bowling, uh, stated on his LinkedIn page that he and a number of other colleagues had been laid off. Um, uh, Bowling wrote, uh, well, the game industry blood ba uh, bloodletting continues today. Visual Concept Austin laid me off myself and a group of very talented developers. I have had a great time over the last couple of years working with some of the finest game devs in the industry. Over the past 23 years of making game art, I have seen some downturns, but nothing like this. Um, uh, the announcement was also preceded by that of software engineer Sydney F, who also stated that they had been laid off. I don't like are the like I understand that maybe Lego 2K Drive wasn't the most successful game, um, but it was also you know 2K's first stab at a Lego 2K game. Like, are the WWE and NBA games just not profitable enough? Do they not have enough microtransactions in them? Like, do they not have enough, you know, like, what's going on? Like, you don't hear about EA letting go, at least we haven't yet, knock on wood. You don't hear about, like, EA letting go the FIFA, you know, team and, and shit like that, right? Like, what the hell is going on at, uh, at LEGO 2K? I suspect, or not LEGO 2K, 2K in general... I suspect that maybe 2K uh, Visual Concepts Austin just has too many irons in the fire because they are also working on that Lego uh, 2K soccer game. And when you have that and you have the golf game, I forget if Le if uh, I keep saying Lego. I can't I can't remember if 2K does the PGA Tour or the Tiger Woods game. I think they do Tiger Woods. But the point is, is that like, you know, they have, you know, visual concepts is working on a lot of different games and it might be a scenario where they need to streamline that development process to focus on the games that are actually profitable uh, in some way. Now, this isn't just video game news, so don't get too ahead of yourself. Uh, but it does the, the, the news of this has, you know, started to impact the video game industry in some way. That might be a single game, but it's an impact nonetheless. Barack Lesnar, 
has been removed from the cover of WWE's 2K24 40 Years of WrestleMania edition. So, if you don't know, they announced a bunch of different versions for WWE 2K24. Cody Rhodes is the main cover uh, athlete for the game, the standard edition of the game. If you get the deluxe version of the game, I believe it is Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair. And if you get the fanciest edition of them all, it is um, a 40 Years of WrestleMania edition, which has people like Andre the Giant and Stone Cold and Hulk Hogan, that racist piece of shit, Undertaker and John Cena and Bret Hart and um, a bunch of people on, on the cover. One of those people on the cover was Brock Lesnar. They have now removed Brock Lesnar from the cover and uh, replaced him with uh, a different photo of John Cena and then rearranged some of the people on the cover uh, as part of that as well. And you might be wondering, what did Brock Lesnar do? What did, what did Brock Lesnar do to deserve getting pulled off the most expensive version of the game? Brock Lesnar has been removed from the WWE 2K24 40 Years of WrestleMania edition cover after being linked to sexual misconduct allegations against former WWE boss Vince McMahon. McMahon quit the organization after ex-WWE employee Janelle Grant filed a lawsuit accusing him and a former executive of sexually assaulting and trafficking her to entice wrestling talent. In the suit, Grant alleged that McMahon directed her to create explicit photos for a WWE star he was trying to re-sign. While not explicitly named in the complaint, people said to be familiar with the matter told the Wall Street Journal that the wrestler in question was Brock Lesnar, who has also been recently removed from WWE Supercard and whose WWE status is currently up in the air. Uh, Lesnar was featured prominently on the cover, um, but in the updated version, John Cena has been made uh, bigger to cover up his removal. Um, I don't... I, like, first of all, first of all, this is, like, the only WWE coverage you're going to get from me, personally. All right? Um, I find it inc like there's so there's a couple things about why this is probably the only new like this isn't me trying to bury WWE because you can't bury WWE people have been trying to do that for more than 40 years with all the blood and shit that's on Vince McMahon's hands and I'm not I'm not about to talk about that stuff but here's the reason why like this is probably going to be some of the only uh, WWE coverage you get from me a couple things one I don't care that much for the current WWE product. I love wrestling. Don't get me wrong. Love me some, some of the graps, but I don't care that much about the current WWE product. And I haven't cared about the current WWE product for some time, even when Vince left and triple H took over and all of this stuff. Like I still, I'm still not that interested in the current product. If I were to regularly watch the, 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 the WWE wrestling, I would probably watch NXT. But uh, I haven't even been watching that much NXT. But the other thing, and one of the reasons why I haven't been watching that much NXT, is I find it incredibly hard to want to support 
talk about or cover in any way, shape or form this God awful company. Because if a person like Brock Lesnar can be linked to Vince McMahon's alleged sexual assault and sex trafficking, along with other WWE executives. To me, this, this leads to a, a scenario where the company is just rotten to the core and there are probably other people on that very same Wrestle 40 years of WrestleMania cover that should not be on that cover because they have done some dirt on their own. Personally, fuck Hulk Hogan. I'll just leave it at that. But um, I find it very hard to want to support that company in any way, shape, or form. And I'll be honest, I bought like one of those WWE 2K games not that long ago, and I thought it was pretty good. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I'll you know give one of these next games a shot because I've enjoyed it. I like the BIGM mode, and I... I just liked, you know, what they had kind of done with the uh, with the game. But as of right now, I find it very, very hard to want to support WWE in any way, shape or form, which makes the reality that that AEW game is so shit even worse because it's like, man, I'd probably play a decent wrestling game right about now. And the only decent wrestling game in town seems to be WWE 2K. But then I'd have to give money to a god-awful company that then might just turn around and, you know, pay off its abusers with that money that I gave them. I know that's not exactly how giving, you know, corporations money works, but still. So, as of now, 40 years of WrestleMania, Brock Lesnar removed from the cover because of his alleged links with Vince McMahon's sexual assault and trafficking and if you think that's crazy you should read the rest of this uh of the uh the the suit if you get the chance and then finally float like a butterfly sting like an nda muhammad ali is coming to wwe 2k24 i i don't know i mean okay i do know he muhammad ali does have you know uh ties to uh, WWE. Not only that, but Muhammad Ali has ties to the very first WrestleMania in which he was a special guest referee. So it isn't that crazy that Muhammad Ali is coming to uh, WWE 2K24, but it's unfortunate that a legend like Muhammad Ali uh, would have to be associated with this bullshit at this time. But what do I know? What I do know is we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk some Forza Motorsports, some Spider-Man 2, Square Enix, Nintendo Switch, and the best-selling games of 2023. Stick around. We will be right back. Welcome back to the podcast. I continue to be Nitwit. This continues to be Glitch Report, and we continue to do the news. So let's get into it. We got more news. This is this is a quick one. This is this shouldn't be. This should be breezy. But let's let's actually talk about it. Turn 10 has announced changes to Forza Motorsports' progression system. So if you remember, Forza Motorsport came out last year and kind of advertised itself as a car PG, which is a stupid term, but whatever I said it, so I guess they won. The idea being that in Forza Motorsport, when you bought a car, you would drive that car, and as you drove it, you would level up that car, which would then unlock the ability 
to upgrade that car. So the idea being you could not pimp your ride without investing time into that car, meaning that your level one Subaru would uh, be a lot different than your level 20 Subaru, which would be a lot different than your level 30, 40. And I think the max level cap per car is 50. But if you maxed a, a, a level on a car, um, it would also unlock you uh, brand discounts. So let's say you got a level 50 Lamborghini Countach, which I just so happen to have. Not that I'm trying to toot my own horn. But if you had a level 50 uh, car, let's say a Lamborghini Countach, you would get a discount on the next car from Lamborghini that you bought. So that's how they incentivize you to not only level up the cars um, by giving you the unlocks to make them faster and, you know, turn better and, and all brake better and all that stuff. But also, if you were loyal to that car, you could potentially be rewarded with loyalty for the entire brand with a discount. Take all that shit and throw it away. <laughs> take, take, all, take all of that, what I just said, and just throw it the fuck away. Um, we talked about this, but last month, the studio acknowledged complaints from the Forza Motorsport players around uh, three ideas of the game including its divisive car progression mechanic. In an update published on Wednesday, Turn 10 outlined two changes expected to arrive in March as part of the game's sixth major update. Firstly, all car parts for every car will now be unlocked at car level one, meaning players can install upgrades in any order. Oh, that was the other thing, right? Is like you would upgrade your car at level one and then you would slowly be able to get better and better upgrades for different components of the car like oh at level one or two you might be able to adjust things like the you know what type of tire or rim and then by level 40 you were getting like you know i was dropping a v12 or a v8 or you know a supercharger or whatever and doing all that stuff so that was the other thing about the progression is you got more dramatic upgrades as on top of better parts as you leveled up the car however now if you get a car at level one all that shit is just ready to go. But there's a catch. Quote, whether it's engine swaps, race tires, aspiration changes, body kits, or any other part available for your vehicle, you will have the freedom to build cars your way, the studio said. Secondly, and this is how they kind of did it, is um, the cars were upgraded uh, through something called car parts. So you would unlock a car part uh, um, and then you would have X amount of car points to spend on those upgrades, meaning that if you say wanted a lot of different uh, car upgrades, you even if they were cheap, you would still need to make sure you leveled up your car enough to earn the points. If that makes sense. So you earn the points by leveling up and you unlocked the parts to spend the points on by leveling it up. Make sense. Now, car points will be obtainable with in-game credits. Excuse me, in-game credits. Um, Turn said, Turn Ted said that they're testing a ratio of 4,500 credits for 500 car points. So you still need car points to buy the car parts, but every car part will be unlocked from the get-go. You earn in-game credits by winning races and 
that sort of thing. Tournaments, whatever. This means, quote, uh, you can begin to immediately install upgrades to your car if you have sufficient credits. Or if you'd rather save your credits, you can still earn car parts through leveling your car as before. Um, the on-track time required to reach car level 50 will remain between two to three hours and brand discounts won't be changing as part of the update. Uh, turn 10 acknowledged last month the Forza Motorsport race regulators aren't always working as they should and said to plan to address complaints about AI driving behavior in a future update too. So here's the thing. You can still kind of have your cake and eat it too. Like if, um, if there was a car part that you would have typically needed to get to level 30 to get, but you're at level 20, you can still buy it. It just might be a little bit cheaper uh, the more you level up the car. So it seems like they've found... I don't know. I haven't played. Also, that's the other thing. I have not played Forza Motorsport in a long, long time. If I load up the Xbox app here on my PC, um, I don't even think it's going to tell me. I don't even. If I do this, if I click on the thing, does it tell me? Nope. Oh, yeah, I will. I haven't played Forza Motorsport in over a month. Damn. Anyways, point is, is that now you do not have to race the cars to unlock the car parts, but you do need to race the cars to earn the currency to buy the car parts. If you haven't raced enough of the car to unlock the car parts with car points. Makes sense. God, I hope so. Maybe I'll fire that up and report back, <laughs> see how that goes. But also the other thing is I bought, um, so I bought the like fancy version of the uh, upgrade for uh, Forza Motorsport. So I actually get a, a credits doubler. So every time I earn credits in races, I actually get double the, the amount because I'm a VIP, which will make, I guess, buying and upgrading the cars a lot easier. I don't know. I'd have to fire the game back up. And then for those that are looking for the Spider-Man 2 New Game Plus update, that will be coming out March 7th. It was delayed to early 2024, now coming out March 7th. Um, plus the ability to change the time of day. Uh, there's a spoiler in the spoiler in the. Well, I don't know if it's I'm not going to read it. But basically, one of the updates uh, that they're including in uh, one of the changes they're adding to the update uh, will include audio descriptions, the ability to change the time of day and replay old missions as well as start new game plus. It will also introduce new suits March 7th. Square Enix. Your friends and mine, Square Enix. They're trying to overhaul their development process. It's kind of weird um, what they're going for. I get it. But I feel like they've been trying to do this for a long time. Let's kind of go in. One of the things that Square Enix wants to do is reduce the outsourcing development of its major games. As reported by uh, Bloomberg, uh, Square Enix president uh, made the announcement during the company's financial results briefing on Monday. During the conference, uh, the president said, uh, we are reviewing from scratch what the organizational structure is and what's the best way to implement uh, the contents of the pipeline. <laughs> Um, the president being uh, Takashi Kiryu, 
Uh, Kiryu also reportedly said the new structure would uh, be detailed more in spring. But according to a number of securities analysts cited by Bloomberg, who were present on the uh, call, the new structure will reportedly be in operation uh, uh, in April. So here's what they want to do. Here's the contents of the pipeline they want to implement, which is also the title of my sex tape. Uh, the publishers are reportedly keen to reduce the amount of development outsources to external studios, and it wants to focus on in-house development for its more high-profile titles, with the aim being to increase both quality and profit margins. Now, according to securities analysts talking to Bloomberg, the new development process will include a new checking mechanism that will let the company make decisions on a game quality at an earlier stage of development. Last August, the publisher's share uh, price dropped nearly 15% following an earnings released during which Kiri reportedly cited the launch of Final Fantasy 16 as one of the reasons for its underwhelming results. So they want to square up that square up that pipeline, get it? They want to make smaller uh, uh, so they want to make fewer games, they want to make bigger games, and they want to make more high quality games with a streamlined uh pipeline. I don't think Final Fantasy 16 is that bad. I don't think Final Fantasy 16 is that big of a disappointment, but I think you know one of the big problems we have right now in this capitalist nightmare that we live in is that um a lot of these companies have unrealistic expectations. And maybe they shouldn't have spent so much money developing Final Fantasy 16 if they're going to have these unrealistic expectations, but like Final Fantasy 16 wasn't that bad, dog. I don't know what to tell you, uh, Takashi Kiryu of Square Enix. It wasn't that bad. But if you thought it was that bad, maybe you shouldn't have spent so much money on it. The Nintendo Switch is now the best-selling system of all time in Japan. And it's now 15 million units away from being the global all-time best-selling system. How do you like them apples? It's fucking crazy, dude. It's fucking crazy. Um, Nintendo did release its financial results, which put the console at 33.34 million lifetime sales in Japan. The Switch has now overtaken the Nintendo DS family of handhelds, which sold 32.98 million as Nintendo's best-selling system in its homeland. Now, both the Nintendo Switch and the Nintendo DS sales figures incorporate all variations of the system. So for the Switch, we have the Switch, the Switch Lite, and the Switch OLED. And for the DS, we have the DS, DS Lite, DSi, and DSi XL. Um, while it's now Nintendo's top-selling system in Japan, the Switch will still have to sell around 15 million more units to overtake the Nintendo DS as its best-selling machine worldwide. In doing so, it would also be within touching distance of the PlayStation 2's global record of 155 million consoles sold. Nintendo forecasts that it will reach 141.12 million Switch units sold by March of this year. 
While Switch sales have slowed as the console comes to the traditional end of its life cycle, it's still entirely possible that the console will eventually end up being the best-selling console ever. Now, Video Games uh, Chronicles reported last summer the development kits for Nintendo Switch 2 were in the hands of key partner studios with a launch expected in late 2024 with a prediction that the console will sell uh, will sell at 400 US dollars, which is about $100 more than the Switch launched at, and the possibility that games would cost $70, which is the same price as the PS5 and Xbox Series X and S consoles. And we alluded to this on the show earlier. Let's get into it. The best-selling games of 2023. I'm pulling up the list here. There's a, a lot of caveats. There's a lot of caveats to this um uh to this uh top 10. Actually, I got I got top I got top 20. Fuck David Letterman in this top uh 10 list. I got a top 20. I do love the goat David Letterman, but I made the joke. I'm sticking to it. So we've complained on this very podcast about how vague sales uh, data is for a lot of video games. One of the uh, companies that is trying to collect the data is a company called Circana. And Circana has come up with the uh, 2023 top 20 games. However, there are some caveats. They are only counting physical and digital games from the Nintendo eShop, PlayStation, Steam, and Xbox platforms. And it is ranked in dollar sales. However, so again, physical and full digital games from Nintendo eShop, PlayStation, Steam, and Xbox. However, there are games on this list that do not factor in some of what the data is that they are recording. Let me, let me kind of go a little bit further. Now, where we talk about uh, ranked dollar sales, we are talking about the purchasing a copy of the game. We're not talking about spending money in the game like a Fortnite skin. We're talking about just going out and buying the game on, you know, uh, some sort of uh, platform, right? At number 20, for 2023, we have Minecraft, which appears on a variety of consoles, right? Number 19, we have Mine... Uh, sorry, uh, sorry, number 20, Minecraft. Number 19 is Mario Kart 8 for the Nintendo. Now, they don't specify whether it's Nintendo Switch or not, but I am... Because there is the Mario Kart 8 for the Wii U, but no one, no one's going out and buying. That's ridiculous. No one's out going buying Mario Kart 8 for the Wii U. So Mario Kart 8 for the Nintendo Switch is number 19. However, it does not factor in digital sales for Mario Kart 8. So Mario Kart 8, from a physical game standpoint, is number 19 on the best-selling games of 2023. No digital included. Think about that. Number 18 is Elden Ring. Number 17 is Street Fighter 6. Number 16 is Final Fantasy 16. Number 
15 is Dead Island 2. Number 14, MLB The Show 23. Now, this data does not include Xbox and Switch digital sales. So that would be physical copies of, uh, of MLB um, on PlayStation, digital copies of MLB for PlayStation. That would also be physical versions of MLB for Xbox. Number 13, Resident Evil for the remake. Number 12, Super Mario Bros. Wonder, not factoring in digital sales. That is physical only sales for Super Mario Bros. Wonder. Number 11, Starfield. Huh? What do you think about that? What do you think about that? Starfield. And they say that Game Pass kills game purchases. Number 10, EA Sports FC 24. Number 9, Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Number eight, Mortal Kombat 1. Number seven, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. That is the 2022 release of Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Number six, we have Diablo 4. Number five, The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Again, not factoring in digital sales, only factoring in physical releases for Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Number four, Marvel Spider-Man 2. Number three, Madden NFL 24. Number two, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. That is the 2023 game. And at number one, Hogwarts Legacy. So when you think about all of the, you know, the exceptions that they have to make in terms of, oh, it's not digital for this or it's not digital for these platforms. It makes me wonder. Is Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom actually the best-selling game of, uh, of uh, 2023? According to Circana, it's not. But if you factored in the digital sales of that game, I would not be surprised if Zelda Tears of the Kingdom was actually the number one selling game of 2023. We're going to take our final break. When we come back, we're going to talk all things Yakuza Kiwami 1. We will be right back. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Nitwit, and I have finished Yakuza Kiwami 1. And I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it, you know, pretty much top to bottom here on the show today. One of the things that I just want to stress is that there will be no spoiler talk. And one of the reasons I've deliberately chosen to not talk about spoilers in the game is honestly for kind of the reason I got into Yakuza in the first place, which is um, it has been a series that has grown and grown very slowly and really organically over time, right? Like the word of mouth on the Yakuza series has been incredibly positive for some time now. And with every new release, they're getting new fans. Now, some of those fans might be starting, you know, on uh, zero or Kiwami one. Some fans might be some new fans might be starting with uh, like a, a Yakuza, like a dragon because they want to get into the JRPG stuff. There might be new fans of the series that are getting in with the brand new game uh, uh, like a dragon, infinite wealth. Right. So there's a lot of different entry points for uh, potentially new fans of the Yakuza series. Right. So I can't assume one way or the other where you are at uh, with Yakuza 
So just keep that in mind. There's no spoilers. No, no need to worry. Now, I decided to get into the Yakuza games for, you know, kind of many of the same reasons is that, you know, I've been familiar with Yakuza. I've been Yakuza curious for some time now, uh, but uh, never really got into them uh, because I just I wasn't too sure what to expect. Like, is this, you know, such a long running franchise that it's going to be impenetrable for, you know, for a new person to get into? Where's the best entry point? Where do I start? What do I you know, what am I supposed to expect? Right. So I decided to start at the start, or at least what I feel like is the start, right? Yakuza Kiwami 1 is a remake of the original Yakuza game. Um, Yakuza Kiwami 1 uses a lot of the uh, mechanical gameplay updates that can be found with Yakuza 0, which is the prequel to Kiwami 1, right? But the reason I started with Kiwami 1 is is because that's where the series originally started from a story perspective, right? Um, sure, I could have started with Zero, and then I would have all of this context going into um, Kiwami 1, but my thought process was, if I play Kiwami 1, it'll be really interesting to see how they kind of um, fill out the backstory and answer some of the questions I might have um, having played Kiwami 1, right? That was kind of my thought process was like, I don't know, it just feels weird to start a prequel. Like prequels are usually something that come out. I'll put it to you this way. I wouldn't go recommend somebody watch Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit movies. If they hadn't already seen the original Lord of the Rings movies, I would not recommend somebody go watch the Star Wars prequel trilogy. For any reason, no, I'm joking, but for any reason, but I also wouldn't recommend people go watch. Um. If you haven't seen the original Star Wars, you know, trilogy four, five and six, you should not watch Rogue One. You should not watch uh, Solo. You should not watch the prequels. Let's just assume for a moment that those other movies are worth watching. Right. Um, I just think that prequels in general expect something of their audience. Otherwise, they would have started at that point in the series instead of going back in time. Right. So that's kind of why I decided to start with Kiwami 1. And I'm glad I did, because that is a fantastic game. Let's get that out of the way right now. No beating around the bush. Yakuza Kiwami 1 is a fucking unbelievable game. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Um, whatever rough around the edges stuff it might have, it might not be quite as modern as something like a Yakuza 6, or maybe it isn't quite as in depth of a game is something like zero is um, because zero was a brand new game. Whereas, uh, you know, brand new game using its technology, whereas Kiwami one is a remake of a very, very old game using the modern uh, touch of something like zero. It does not matter. Yakuza Kiwami one is a fantastic game. So if you're telling me right now that the Yakuza series only gets better from here or potentially gets better from here um sign me the fuck up my initial approach to playing yakuza was i really want to get to the jrpg stuff i really want to see what these brand new modern yakuza games like a dragon games have to offer um so my thought was i would play kiwami one i would play kiwami two i would play zero and then i would fast forward into the timeline and start yakuza like a dragon However, I'm starting to rethink that because 
I really, really love what they have done to set the world, the tone, and the characters for this kind of original Yakuza series. Character-wise, Kiryu Kazuma might be one of the best video game protagonists of all time. Like, one game in and I'm already like, oh, this guy is is terrific. Um, so a couple of things. Uh, <laughs> Kiryu is um, kind of a kind of a goofy guy in that he is. He really comes across as like relentlessly positive, like it's just nobody can kind of kill his smile, um, but he's also an incredibly capable bad motherfucker. So you have this character who can whoop anyone's ass, or it seems like he can whoop anyone's ass, um, but he's also kind of a serious guy. He's also kind of a you know a a goofy guy in the way that he takes other people so seriously. So there is a little bit of like lost in translation in some cases, uh, because it, it feels like at times. Uh, that uh, Kiryu is kind of a fish out of water, despite being a Yakuza, despite being a Japanese gangster and all of that stuff. It really feels like, you know, sometimes he's trying to put a square peg into a round hole in terms of how he reacts and interprets the the world around him. And there's a couple of story reasons for that. And I will say that, like, immediately out of the gate, the story uh, really gives you a, a lot to chew on. It really feels like you are entering into this very rich and deep world uh, filled with a, a lot of different characters, stories, and, and motivations surrounding uh, things like the Yakuza hierarchy, right? You know, the 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 inner minglings of the of the Tojo clan, of all of these different uh, players within the Yakuza structure. Um, and it feels it feels lived in. Like if if this is pretty much beat for beat the interpretation of the first game that first game really sets up a lot of interesting players um and just kicks things off right out of the gate with some really exciting uh story moments so from a character standpoint um it's really easy to fall in love with with both kiryu and a lot of the supporting cast and some of the other main characters as well right um the the story that they tell the standalone story that they tell within uh yakuza kiwami one has a really exciting beginning middle and end like it it follows through a very consistent story no problem and of course knowing that there's like a zillion other yakuza and like a dragon games to come um it really sets up a world that you want to go back to like as soon as i was done playing yakuza kiwami one i was like fuck i gotta fire up two. i gotta see what happens i gotta see what happens after this right and um, I think that's what makes, you know, the Yakuza games and the Like a Dragon games so fun is that from a story perspective, I can't wait to see what happens next. But also from a story perspective of what is the rest of the world doing while all this crazy Yakuza shit is happening? Like, that's really fun, too. There is a lot of side content uh, in the game as well. There's a lot of uh, side story missions that you can get up to. Uh, you know, uh, Kiryu is a guy who who wants to help, right? If, if if somebody comes up to them, they're like, "Hey, Mister," uh, like, there's a story mission around like 
uh, Kiryu trying to stop somebody from doing a, a dine and dash, right? So he's kind of like, he watches his guy run away from the restaurant. The restaurant owner uh, is like, hey, this guy just, you know, dipped from his uh, his bill. Can you go find him? And, um, you know, Kiryu eventually finds this guy on the street. And this is like a side story mission. So, so, so don't worry too much about it, right? And then like has to engage with this guy who... Who, who, you know, is trying to dine and dash, right? And um, I will say that a lot of the story moments, both the side stories and the main stories, eventually lead to, to a little bit of fisticuffs. And the combat is mostly good. I will say that the, like, the combat is not perfect. At times, it feels like a bit of a slog going through the motions. But for the most part, the combat in Yakuza Kiwami 1 is quite good. So it is all melee based, um, you know, brawling and wrestling moves. There's a lot of wrestling moves in this game. Um, there's a little bit of like, uh, you know, weapons in terms of like, oh, I got a sword. I got a knife. I'm using a bicycle that I picked up the street to hit people with. There are a couple of guns in the game, but guns are in the story played up because of how destructive firearms can be in general and how rare weapons like firearms are in Japan, right? That's one of the things that I think really separates uh, Yakuza and like a dragon from something like Grand Theft Auto, where like when a character pulls out a gun in a story cut scene or in a, in a, in a, in a fight, shit is gone bad. Like even if it's some dudes fighting in the street, um, you know, when they pull out the piece, uh, bad stuff is going to happen. You are going to get fucked up. That character in that cutscene is going to see some bad shit happen to them. And and I think, um, it makes just for a, a much more exciting and more interesting game in general, right? Like, I, you know, living in this Western world where like, you know, every video game is me solving a problem with a gun, um, to see Yakuza, you know, take this, you know, the interpretation of these weapons as being incredibly destructive, I think makes for a more interesting combat system and also makes for more interesting story dynamic when uh, firearms come into play. So I kind of first got my taste of the Yakuza combat, not by playing the game, but by watching the all elite wrestling um, street fight that was sponsored by like a dragon guy, Dan, the man who erased his name. Like I had been familiar with Yakuza and like a dragon in the past, but I didn't really get a taste for what those games were until all elite wrestling had their street fight match. And in that match, you saw uh, characters hitting uh, wrestlers hitting each other with like those pa uh, plastic milk crates. You saw uh, uh, Kota Ibushi, um, using a, uh, a bicycle, uh, in the ring and, and, and during the match and all of this stuff. And I'm sitting there watching this match and I'm like, this can't be like the Yakuza games. There's no way this outrageous wrestling street fight is anything like what the Yakuza games have to offer. And I'm here to tell you that if you enjoyed that match, you are going to really like the combat in Yakuza Kiwami one. And I'm assuming the rest of the Yakuza games uh, going forward because it does a tremendous job of being a relatively simple to pick up, maybe a little too simple at times, um, brawler in terms of I'm punching guys, I'm, I'm kicking guys, I'm, uh, you know, hitting guys with, with objects, but also being 
it's simple, but it also leans into how outrageous and how violent uh, it can be at times. When you hit a wrestling move on a character and you're just pile driving guys on the concrete in the street, it it don't look like it does in wrestling. It is it is brutal. It is violent. You are fucking guys up in that combat. It looks so brutal at times and not in a way that's like hyper violent. Like it doesn't look almost torturous or gory the way that something like uh mortal Kombat is. It just looks very brutal, chunky, and maybe a little cartoony at times, but it, but it looks good. Like it just feels uh visceral is maybe not the right word to use, but it, it feels authentic and it feels raw. Um, and I think that really adds to uh, the rest of the world and the characters in the game that the combat can really kind of match what the rest of the game has to offer. Um, in the combat, there are a couple of different styles that you can choose from. Uh, you switch with them on the fly using the D-pad. Um, there's a rush style attack uh, system, which is very much like lightning fast punches and kicks and 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 kind of strikes and stuff like that. There's a brawler, which is more slower punk uh, punches and kicks and haymakers and uppercuts, as well as some grappling moves. So you can kind of grab a guy, you know, break his neck with your with your hand. You can uh, throw a guy and, and do a couple of different things with the brawler. There's also a move called a move set called Beast. And Beast is very much like a much more slower, wider, uh, wider attack ranges to hit multiple enemies. And then there's finally an attack set called Dragon. And Dragon is a set of moves that you have to unlock by participating in some of the side content in the game. Specifically, um, it is a story around you fighting rival gang member uh, uh, Majima, who appears throughout the world multiple times in the story. So you have a couple of different attack uh, move sets at your disposal that you can change at any given time. And I think that helps keep the combat fresh. However, I will say that at the start of the game, you don't have a lot of mo uh, uh, special moves and upgrades for those uh, four types of uh, attack sets, which means that you are kind of doing a lot of repetitive motions at least at the start of the game. So it does take a little bit to unlock some really crazy, you know, attacks and some of the more crazier, you know, wrestling moves and, and stuff like that. But um, when you're not using your normal hand to hand attacks in the game, there are a lot of different uh, objects in the environment and weapons that you can use. And those often have a lot of special attacks uh, to go with it. Um, things like you can pick up a garbage can and one of the special attacks is you kind of uh, casually toss it to your enemy and then uppercut the garbage can into their face um, as they kind of stumble to try to catch this garbage can that you've gently thrown at them. It looks really goofy. It looks uh, it looks great. And um, overall, like, again, the combat can be a little repetitive. Some of the fights can go on a little too long. But if you engage with a lot of the side content and you do a lot of the optional fights, like basically the more you do the combat, the more upgrades you will have at your disposal um, to dispatch enemies however you would like. I didn't end up getting a lot of the dragon uh, upgrades because I didn't end up fighting uh, Majima a lot in the open world. But if you do, you will end up with a quite uh, an arsenal of attacks uh, to fight your enemies with.
open world um i just love I just love the open world. It's a very small open world. I mean, compared to, gosh, like I'm currently playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla. This is a very, very, very small open world. Um, keep in mind, Yakuza originally came out on the PS2. So there is that to consider that, you know, it is kind of interpreting a PS2 level open world. Um, but it's pretty, pretty detailed. It's pretty rich. It's pretty vibrant. It feels authentic. It feels lived in. There are a number of shops that you can go into uh, and a lot of side content that can be found within the open world. Like I did bowling. I went and I did some bowling uh, in game. There are batting cages. There's slot car racing. You can go play um, crane games at one of the official Sega arcades. You can go get beef bowls. You can go to convenience stores. You can go to pharmacies and you can do a lot of different stuff in the game. There's a a lot of different uh, clubs and stuff like that that you can go to as well. Bars that you can drink at. Though my understanding is the the nightlife kind of um, simulator doesn't really come into play until Yakuza Kiwami uh, 2 when you can go to cabaret clubs and do stuff like that. But um, there is a lot of the open world that you can uh, experience within um, Yakuza. I'm just kind of pulling up my um, um, uh, stats here. Took me about 21 hours to beat Yakuza Kiwami 1. And I only ended up doing about 18.75% of the content. So even though I was pretty happy with all that I saw in that game, there is a lot to experience in the open world. There's a lot of fun side stories that you can do. There's a lot of mini games that you can get up to if you want to do some bowling or if you want to play pool or if you want to do slot car racing or, you know, play the crane games and all that stuff. There's a lot of stuff to be seen. Now, because it is a you know, that's being based off a PS2 game when you're actually in some of the story missions and some of the environments, it can feel very narrow. It can feel very PS2 level design, right? There are a couple of different scenarios throughout the main story mission where I just felt like I was going from room to room to room, all pretty much looking identical, fighting guys after guys after guys after, you know, mini boss battle, big boss battle things like that. So, you know, some of the shortcomings around Kiwami one can be how, unfortunately it's based off of PS two games. So like PS two games only have so much level design, uh, complexity to them. Right. Uh, even though it does take a lot of ideas from, uh, Yakuza zero, from my understanding, there are still some parts where it's like, Oh, Yakuza Kiwami one is kind of a narrow and deeply focused game for better or for worse compared to the extravagant, you know, uh, side content that's available in zero and, and, and some of the other games going forward, right? Like I have friends who are playing Yakuza, uh, sorry, uh, that are playing like a dragon infinite wealth and are like, yeah, dude, it like took me 50 hours just to see, uh, the big side content that they unlock later in the game. Like there's a lot to these games, uh, if you want, but again, I think the story sinks your teeth into you pretty quickly and, and, uh, and doesn't really let go until the very end, which means that like maybe you don't end up spending as much time with the side content in Yakuza Kiwami one. If that's your thing, my understanding is that, like I said, the side content does get a lot more elaborate and lavish in the uh, other games. So if you were to necessarily get into something like Yakuza and the like a dragon series and then kind of mainline Yakuza Kiwami one, um, while there is a lot of fun stuff to see, a lot of fun side stories to get into, 
I don't know if you'd necessarily be missing out the way that you might if you just mainline something like Yakuza 0 or Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth, Yakuza Like a Dragon, so on and so forth. I think the cutscenes and the, the story presentation is just incredibly well acted. It's incredibly, incredibly well shot and directed. It just, it just feels like incredibly cinematic at times. And I'll say this, I'm a simple, stupid man who prefers to have my foreign language media, uh, dubbed into English when given the opportunity and one of the reasons that I like that is so that I can not pay attention so I can stare at my phone or do whatever. Um, in Yakuza Kiwami one, it is all in Japanese with English subtitles. And while some parts of the, you know, kind of the world, like you'll walk by a restaurant and that restaurant might have English text on it. There are other times in the game where the text is like the, the textured, like graphics in the world and in the environment are not in English. So then they interpret, they translate that back into English with subtitles. So there might be a uh, scenario where a cust uh, for a character is reading uh, a letter and that letter in the game is in Japanese. And then the, or kanji, excuse me. Uh, I think it's kanji. I'm no Japanese expert. Maybe I will be by the time I'm done. Yakuza. We'll see, but uh, they'll be reading the in-game text and that is in Japanese. So then they translate that into English or in some cases, a lot of times when characters are reading something, they are reading it out loud so that they can translate their dialogue back into ja uh, Japanese or sorry, back into uh, their J Japanese dialogue uh, back into English. So it's Japanese voice acting and it's English subtitles. And I'm going to tell you something right now. I would not have it any other way because the voice acting from what little I know about, you know, uh, the Japanese language is incredibly well done. There is so much, um, heart and soul, uh, put into pretty much every character in that game from Kiryu to some of the side players, uh, in the side stories to some of the other main characters in the game. Um, it is an incredibly well acted and well voiced game and I think you would lose a lot if you had English voice acting in the game. In fact, I can tell you right now that you lose a lot in translation by going to English because the PS2 version of the original Yakuza game did have English voice acting in it, including uh, voice actors uh, uh, like Michael Madsen and like uh, Mark Hamill. And I think Mark Hamill, you know, gives a pretty decent performance as Majima in the uh, in the American version of the PS2 Yakuza game. But it's not the same uh, as uh, in the with the Japanese voice acting. One of the reasons is that because I, and, I, and the reason I know this is because I went and I looked up the PS2 version of uh, Yakuza on YouTube and I watched a bunch of it and I'm like, man, dog, this ain't it. Like the, like hearing these American, you know, actors stumble over a bunch of Japanese names and, and, and terms and, and things like that. It's just, it's just awkward. It's just, it just doesn't feel right. And there are, are games that definitely will use Japanese, um, names and, 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 you know, uh, terminology and all that stuff. Um, and work and pull it off. I think, uh, persona is a great example of, uh, a really, really good, uh, English dub, 
um, in the game. But uh, in the case of that uh, PS2, you know, uh, Yakuza game in English, whew, it is not it's not great. It's really it's really not great. So I think. If you can get behind, uh, you know, Japanese voice acting with English subtitles and English text for the menus, like you can play through the game, like it's in English and all that stuff. But the with the um, voice acting being in, in Japanese, I think it really adds to the world, to the setting, to the tone of the game. Um, and it, I feel it's also incredibly well acted. And really, when I when I get down to it, the thing I loved uh, the most about Yakuza Kiwami was the tone was the heart and the soul of the game. You can really feel um, uh, a lot of love uh, in that game for a game about murdering Japanese uh, gangsters. There's a lot of love and a lot of heart and soul in that game. I think the, the sense of humor in that game is phenomenal. It's a, it's a hilarious game and it knows when to turn on the serious tones and when it gets serious, it gets like damn near levels of like, you know, days of our lives, all my children, like soap opera levels of like seriousness. So it's a game that really knows, uh, you know, its sense of humor. It really knows its tone. Its characters uh, are reflective of that tone. The open world is reflective of that tone. The combat, the story, the dialogue, everything feeds back into um, a game that really feels unlike anything I've ever played before, uh, to some extent, I know that might sound a little hyperbolic, but there's, there's nothing quite, if, if Yakuza Kiwami one is any indication of the Yakuza series going forward, uh, there is nothing quite like the Yakuza games. And my plan now, uh, going forward is to play Yakuza Kiwami two, play Yakuza Kiwami three, and then, uh, readjust where I want to go. But, um, Knowing that Kiryu is not a main player to the same degree in the like a dragon JRPG games, there's almost this part of me that thinks maybe I should just play through all the Yakuza games because it was a fucking blast. Even that main story, even just that plot, that a plot is so much fun. So, um, I cannot recommend Yakuza Kiwami enough. Um, and I think that one is a good jumping point. I mean, I have no, I have nothing to compare it to, but I just think that, um, you know, zero might feel a little bit overwhelming in terms of how much more side content there is and how many references they make to the future, uh, that you may not be aware of because you didn't play something like one. So, you know what, maybe play zero, start with a lot of people say, start with zero. Um, I have nothing to compare it to, but I'm very happy that I started Yakuza uh, with Kiwami one, my plan is two, and then go back to zero and then see where it takes me. My understanding is that three, four and five um, do not have the same uh, updates and uh, quality of life improvements that uh, Kiwami one, two and zero have. So that might be a scenario where I spend more time getting through the main plots of those uh, three, four and fives. Uh, six is a much more modern game. And then, of course, we also have, you know, Yakuza, uh, sorry, uh, Like a Dragon Guide in the man who erased his name, kind of the 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 swan song for the Kiryu story that I am already way more invested in seeing than I thought I would be going into this. There's also Ishin, the the samurai spinoff game. Maybe I'll get to that at some point. But my plan right now 
keep it simple, stupid. We're going with Yakuza 2 and then 0, and then we'll see if I want to do 3 uh, after that. But um, even if you just play Kiwami 1, uh, it's a hell of a game, and I, I cannot recommend it enough. Um, I remember when I first started playing Yakuza Kiwami 1, and I kind of just sat back in my chair and I thought to myself, like, man, where has this game been my entire life? Because it is, again, it, it's there's really nothing quite like it. Um, and I'm glad I got the chance to play it. And I'm glad that if, you know, the Yakuza series and the Like a Dragon series calls me back, that there is a lot more of that stuff to look forward to. So um, big thumbs up on Yakuza Kiwami 1. Don't know when I'm going to get a chance to start two. Uh, Yakuza Kiwami 2, but I will at some point and I will play through it this year. No problem. If by the end of the year, I've only played through Kiwami 1, 2 and 0, uh, that won't seem like such a bad thing. But there are a lot of games coming out, uh, a lot of games uh, to look forward to on the horizon, including Horizon Forbidden West, which I'm really looking forward to playing in March. So we shall see. I'm also like 55 ish hours into um, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and there are no signs of me getting anywhere close to the end of that game. So there are a lot of games, uh, a lot of big games on my plate at the moment. Um, and there might be a lot of big games on your plate at the moment. But if you have the chance, uh, you the the hype is I'll tell you this much. The hype is real. The people that have been yelling about Yakuza for the last like 20 years or whatever, um, they have been right all along. <laughs> They have been right all along, and it's awesome that the, especially the original games like uh, Yakuza 1 and 2 have received these updates to make getting into that series a lot more palatable. I recommend it. I had a great time with it, and I think you should play it as well. And that's going to do it for the podcast. Um, we're going to try to play some Helldivers 2 tomorrow, assuming that it works. I have not bought it yet, but I am curious enough about that game to pick up a copy of it on PC and see if it works. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. Maybe I'll regret it. I have no idea, but we will find out tomorrow on Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. We will play some of that Helldivers if it works. I don't know. It might not work. I have no idea. Um, That is going to do it for the podcast. You can find everything that I do over at my link tree, linktree.com slash nitwit. G-N-I-T-T-W-I-T-T, Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, uh, Instagram uh, threads, and uh, all of that stuff is, uh, I'm cooking. Like, we're, we're trying our best to um, make as much content as we can all over the place if given the opportunity. So, linktree.com slash G-N-I-T-T-W-I-T-T, Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, all of that good stuff is happening there. Come on back tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, where we'll do some streaming. If Helldivers 2 doesn't work out, we'll go back to playing uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Um, but hopefully it works. And we'll see you all next week for more Glitch Report. Episode 80. We made it to 80. We'll see if we can make it to 100. And we'll see you next week. Take it easy.